Hi, podcast listeners, and welcome to our February 14th, 2018 Hong Kong Stories podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. Today is an action-packed day, it being both Valentine's Day and the first day of Christian Lent. Not only that, but here in Hong Kong, we're getting swept up by the preparations for welcoming in the Year of the Dog. It's a confusing time for a city and a people with a rich mixture of cultures and beliefs. Nonetheless, we'd like to extend greetings to our listeners in Ride and Heritage Park in Australia, Nuneaton in the UK, Massapequa in the USA, Fonsheim in Germany, and in Exeter, Canada. We love seeing all these interesting places where people are listening to our podcasts, whether it be from the Golden City or a suburb of the city of Logan. Thanks for listening to our stories. We're currently working hard to polish up our stories for our February 26th live show with the theme of Escape. You can find tickets for the show and any other information you may need through www.hongkongstories.com. You can also find details of our free weekly workshops, past podcasts, and information on other upcoming shows on the website. Again, www.hongkongstories.com. If you're looking for past episodes of the podcast or you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Never miss a story again. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than drama. It's better than comedy. It's real life. The true first-person story in today's podcast was told before a live audience at our January show, which had the theme of Abandoned. The show is curated and directed by our January host, Jen, and this story was written and performed by Erica at the Fringe Club in Hong Kong. Erica came and told stories with us at Hong Kong Stories way back when, when we were first starting. She had a bit of a break, but we're really glad that she hasn't abandoned us altogether. Here's Erica. So it's uh, 1979, so there's uh, no Tinder, there's no Wi-Fi. Killers, we have Charles Manson, but it's not a story about him, so that's the good news, right? I don't have a story about that. But uh, yeah, so again, I'm seven years old at the time. And um, you know, most of my friends in 1979 are being raised by kind of like pot-smoking, like draft-dodging, like cool parents. My parents are much, much older, and they're also very conservative. So like, to sort of explain how conservative they are, my brothers and I are the only people that I knew that had car seats. We always have to wear our seatbelts. And my father will only buy Oldsmobiles because he checks safety ratings. Like, I don't even think safety ratings were invented in 1979 yet, but he is checking them, right? We don't do canned food. We don't do TV dinners. My mother has a sign in the kitchen that reads, unnecessary noise prohibited, okay? <laughs> That's actually real. She confirmed it. So I live with a lot, a lot of rules. So we have this trip for Flor to Florida planned, and it's supposed to be my brothers and I together going to visit my grandparents. And last minute, my older brother can't go. And despite all the rules, somehow I convinced my parents to let me go alone with my younger brother to Florida to see our grandparents. So when we get to Florida, and uh, we live in New Jersey, we get to Florida, um, and um, everything's you know, uh, sort of uneventful on the way there. But we get there, and I realize really early on that Florida has way more rules than New Jersey, like way more. And my grandparents aren't just conservative. My grandparents are both, especially my grandmother, like real, real old world conservative. Like, so um, early on in the trip, my brother gets sick. And you know, I suggest you know, maybe we like go to a doctor or like a pharmacy for some medicine. And my grandma, on the other hand, uh, poo-poo's conventional medicine and conventional wisdom also. And she says to me, 
we're gonna do this how we did it in the old country. Yeah, the old country that they left for like a lot of reasons, right? <laughs> but they're gonna do it that, she's gonna do it that way. So she says to me, when someone has a high fever, you simply need to starve a fever. You feed a cold, right? So the week goes on and you know, he's not getting any better and she kind of confesses to me, or sort of under her breath, maybe not to me, um, maybe it was feed the fever, starve the cold. No matter, it's time to go home, it's your parents' problem now, right? <laughs> So, you know, my brother is now not just sick, like he's actually really seriously, like really sick. Yeah. So we're in the car on the way to the airport, and my grandfather, for about the 10,000th time, warns me to beware of the, the white slavers, okay? So I, I, I'm seven, yeah, and he says to me, I, I will know them because they will come up to me, and they're going to try to talk to me, and they're going to look like college guys. I, I don't really know what that means, and because I'm seven, and they're going to wear t-shirts, and, uh, and he says to me, and dungarees. <laughs> because nothing says danger like a pair of jeans, okay? And, and he's told me this about 10,000 times. So when we finally arrive at the airport, uh, the one thing I do know is what, after watching my grandmother starve my brother for an entire week and not give him any medicine when he's really ill, I realize at seven I have a better handle on things than probably most grown-ups. So I insist that we are fine, they can just drop us off sort of just at the curb, you could do that then. Um, but my grandmother, of course, says, you know, no, 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 we're not going to drop you off. I'm going to walk you in. And by in, she means, you know, not just into the airport. She means to the gate and into the airplane, right? Again, you could, like, do that kind of thing then. And she sits us down in our seats and, of course, you know, buckles our seatbelts for us and puts our bags under our things and says to me, like, look, listen, you know, no matter what, the plane lands, you sit and you wait in your seat. You do not get out of your seat. The stewardess is going to come and she's going to help you both out of your seats. So you sit you stay and you wait. Okay, I got it, you know? And she gives me like one more mothball smelling kiss. And then she reaches her hand into her purse and hand, takes this handful out of like candies, right? And these candies, like a lot of them are, I mean, definitely way older than me. Like some of them are from restaurants that I think closed, I don't know, like decades ago. There's like bobby pins in the handful. There's paper clips. There's all kinds of things I can't identify, right? One of the candies is unwrapped, so I kind of, you know, make a little bit of a face at that, and she says to me, you know, it, it builds resistance. It's how we did it in the old world. <laughs> so she leaves me with that uh, when she was actually escorted off the airplane because the last of the passengers was taking their seat. And the plane finally begins to roll down the runway. And all I can think to myself is like, thank God, two and a half hours of freedom, okay? And I can see my grandparents, and they're pressed against the glass, and they're waving, and they actually, they look like really happy, like too happy because... <laughs> Yeah, they've had enough of us, too. And I know, also, on the other side, for sure, in Newark, New Jersey, my parents are already in the airport with their noses pressed against the glass, even though we haven't left the airport yet in Florida. So the airplane rolls down the runway, you know, and we, get to, we sort of get to the end of the runway, and then we stop. We sit and wait for a little while, and then the airplane turns around and starts to go back towards the airport. And I think to myself, this is definitely, definitely not part of the plan. So they announced that there may be mechanical errors and problems. They're not sure, but we do have to return back to the airport. So the plane stops back at the airport, and all the other passengers start to gather their things and get off the plane. And my brother stands up, and I shove him back down in the seat, and I say to him, look, remember, we're meant to wait. We need to wait. So he, we, we, we wait, and we wait, and we wait. And soon there are no other passengers around me, 
And in fact, there are no other passengers on the plane. And I, I now I need to go off script, right? So I take off my seatbelt, I look around, and not only are there no passengers on the plane, there's no people on the plane. <laughs> like there's no crew on the plane, it's just my little brother and I. So I need a plan B and like fast. So I help him up and we go off the plane. Now I'm not gonna talk to anybody because like, you know, like white slavers and like don't talk to strangers and all of that. But I do need a plan. So I decided we're gonna, I smile at like every person that like clearly works in the airport with like a badge and a uniform and somebody is gonna notice me and they're gonna say to me, oh, my job is to help you and they're gonna offer assistance, right? But I walk by everybody and nobody looks at us and gives us even a second glance because it's the 70s and there are always like little kids running around doing all sorts of stuff in places that like, kids shouldn't be. So no one really notices and gives us a second thought. And, I decided we should sit down right by the gate, right? So that way when they announce that our plane is reboarding, we can get back on really easily. So we do that, we sit right by the gate and we sit and we wait and we wait. So soon they announce that they're gonna offer $25 for anybody that's willing to switch from my flight to another flight. $25, okay, so I can get like three Barbie dolls, two books and like five packs of gum, probably like a whole load of other stuff but then I think again, I'm not authorized to make that sort of decision. I'm supposed to wait for help. <laughs> so we wait, and we wait some more. So a little while later, um, I decide maybe we should have one of those candies. So I pull out a stale candy, I eat one, I give one to my brother, and I think it could be a long time. Maybe we should ration them. So they last two minutes. <laughs> I give the unwrapped one to my little brother. <laughs> he was already sick anyway, so like, it, it probably didn't matter. So a little while later, they announced, okay, $50, right? If you'll be willing to switch planes and go to JFK, which is you know, new, an airport in New York, and then they'll send you by limo to Newark, where we were meant to land. Now, a limo, okay, but 50 bucks, first of all, right? But a limo, this is really, really great, okay? And then I think about it again. I'm the only seven-year-old that's not allowed to cross my street yet, and I live in a dead end with only two other houses, okay? And I can't cross the street. So a limo ride alone, probably out of the question. So the minutes that we've been waiting have now been hours. My little brother rests his head on my shoulder, and usually we fight, but he's really burning up. So I'm actually really, really scared at this point. And um, soon they announce um, my name and that my father is trying to reach us. So I go to the nearest airline representative as instructed. I leave my brother, he's asleep now. I sort of gently move him over and you know, I identify myself and uh, they let me talk to my dad. And my dad says to me, like, look, the two of you need to get on the next plane to, um, the next plane that's gonna take you to JFK. So apparently my plane had been actually canceled hours ago, I missed you know, that announcement. And it'd been canceled hours ago. And my parents had been trying to reach my grandparents. Now my grandparents were you know, thrilled at like a child-free day after a week like of both of us, probably mostly me was the problem. But um, so they went out for the day. You know, this is obviously, you know, no answering machines, um, you know, no call waiting, uh, no mobile phones. So my parents weren't able to reach them all day long. So when they finally realized what happened, my dad said, so next plane to JFK. So I go back, you know, to find my brother, tell my brother, you know, what's happening. And, you know, I think to myself, like, I, I uh, let me just say, you know, I, I do love my brother and I am worried about him because he really is like really ill at this point. And I'm gonna find out later that he has like a 40.5 fever and bronchial pneumonia. So I'm worried, but, but, but what I'm really thinking about is, so I'm not allowed to have soda like ever. And I had a soda on the first plane on the runway and now I'm gonna get a second soda and nobody's gonna know. <laughs> And I got a set of like those little wings, you know, and 
I, I take them off, like right away, I take them off and I smooth out the hole in my sweater so no one could tell that I already got a set that day, shove it in my backpack, and they used to give like free decks of cards on airplanes too, and I'm gonna get a second set, because no one knows that I was already on a plane, right? <laughs> but like, all that sounds great, but I'm going on a limo. I'm going in a limo, because I'm going to JFK, and they said if you go to JFK, you go in a limo to Newark. Now, again, not ever having been in a limo, I'm pretty sure maybe like there's a swimming pool, and I've just come from Florida, so I have a bathing suit, so like sunscreen too, like I'm set for anything, right? And maybe there's like a Sunday bar, I, I don't know, like unlimited sodas. It, I'm going on a limo. So, I, you know, my brother is ill, and that's really bad, but this, is, this day is turning out to be pretty good after all. So we get on the plane, right? Second plane, pretty uneventful, and we land. And I wait for the stewardess as instructed, because I do follow directions, white slavers, you know, strangers. And the stewardess walks us off the plane. And as we're going down the jetway, all of a sudden, I can no longer contain my excitement. I'm going on a limo. It awaits me at the end of this jetway. So I break away from the stewardess, and I run down the jetway, and I run smack into my father. And my dad is right there, and he looks at me and he says to me, you know, as soon as we switched your flight from Newark to JFK, your mom and I drove right over here. Wait, wait, you drove here? <laughs> like, in the Oldsmobile? <laughs> so he says, yeah, and he smiles broadly, broadly. So there I am. I'm now sitting on a vinyl seat in the Oldsmobile, like my seatbelt is buckled in, no $50, you know, no limo ride. And the next time that we decide that we're going to Florida to see my grandparents, my dad decides we probably should drive. So now we, here we are, five of us, packed into the Oldsmobile, 28 hours, my dad's classical music blaring the entire way. And all I could think to myself was how great it was the day that I was almost abandoned. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this story brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. And thanks as well to our storyteller, Erica, and to our host and curator of the January show, Jen. Our show hosts and storytellers spend an entire month finding their best story before they get up on stage. But here's the thing. You can do it, too. If you want to know more about learning to tell great stories, visit us on hongkongstories.com. And please, if you enjoyed this podcast, tell your friends. We publish new stories every Wednesday. May the year of the dog bring you easygoing days, comfy nights, and a yummy biscuit every now and then. Everyone has a story to tell. <laughs>